Good morning, Hopevale. Good to see you guys. I'm Billy. I'm your new worship pastor. Glad you're here today. And how about a bigger clap for us being able to worship God today? Let's stand up. Take us in, Rock. Psalm 33 talks about uh, worshiping the Lord and singing to him a new song and shouting for joy. We have so much to be thankful for, friends. God's given you life. He's given you breath. He's given you the clothes on your back, the opportunity to come and worship today. So let's do that, okay? glad you guys are here today. Before you have a seat, take just a moment and say hello to somebody around you. We'll see you in a second. Thanks. Well, good morning again. Hey, you guys can go ahead and have a seat. You guys brought the energy today, right? Yes, that is not bad for a group of people who lost an hour of sleep last night, right? Way to go. 
Well, hey, I, uh, my name is Adam Harbaugh. I'm the outreach pastor here at Hope Vale, and we were just so glad to be here together this morning uh, to praise and worship our great God. And a quick announcement, Student Ministries has their annual winter retreat coming up next weekend. And the good news for you is if you're not signed up, you can still do that today. Today is the deadline to sign up. So if you have a, a student from 6th grade to 12th grade, this op opportunity is for you, and we just encourage you to uh, get some more information on that if you're not already signed up. You can do that uh, at the Connect Grow Serve desk in the lobby today uh, or online uh, throughout the rest of the day. You can sign up uh, electronically, simple process, and your student would be locked in to go next weekend. Uh, just a really incredible weekend for the students. God has used that uh, in the hearts and lives of students uh, for many, many years here at Hopevale. And so if you're on the fence about it, strongly encourage you uh, to get your students signed up for that. As we continue to uh, worship this morning, I want to invite the ushers to come forward as we just prepare to give back to the Lord a portion of what he has entrusted to us. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you so much for today and just the, the freedom and the opportunity that we have to gather in this room and give you the praise and the worship that you deserve, Lord. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's hard to think about just all of the different situations represented in this room right now uh, where we know that we're bringing in a lot of stuff from the week. And as we do that, Lord, we just want to, to recognize that as we come here, it's not a matter of you know, pushing our experiences from the week to the side and forgetting about them and ignoring them, God. But it's about bringing them to this space and laying them before the cross, putting them, taking our burdens and just laying them before you. Because God, you care about those things and you also cover those things for us through your grace, your mercy, your love. And so God, we just pray strength and encouragement uh, on each and every person in this room today, no matter what they're facing. God, that just our experience with you here today uh, would just lift our spirits uh, as we worship you because you deserve it, Lord. As we prepare to give, God, just there's a recognition in this that uh, you own everything to begin with. You have entrusted us with uh, portions of what you own. And so, God, we just, uh, with that attitude and perspective in mind, we just give back to you uh, what is already yours, God. And it is our heart and prayer and desire that you would take and use these resources to further your kingdom here on this earth as it is in heaven. God, that's our heart, that's our prayer. And we love you and ask all this in Jesus' name, amen. We're gonna read some scripture together. Worship leaders will read, and then you can read when it says people. Let's read together. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. To him who alone does great wonders.
we stand here in awe of your presence, recognizing who you are and what you've done for us. God, in creating us to be a people that bring you pleasure, and when we didn't, you sent your son to say, it's okay. Um, I'll go in your place, and um, I'll pay your price. And so, Lord, um, because you are holy and you are without spot and without blame, uh, we need Jesus to come before you. And so today we recognize that uh, in Revelation 4 and 5, there was this scene in heaven where people were worshiping you, the creatures are worshiping you, and they never stopped saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. So we join in eternity's song because of Jesus. We join in eternity's song because that's what we'll be doing forever in, in some fashion, in some form. So God, we uh, lift up our voices with all of heaven today and thanking you for who you are and all that you've done, and especially just because you're holy and you are set apart. So Lord, we love you today, and this time that we set aside to honor you and try to be more like you, God, we ask for your help and for your blessing. In Jesus' name, we all say and pray together. Amen. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. Um, you are my everything, Lord, and I will adore you. It's great to have uh, Billy here on board, yes? Woo! And you may notice, and it's not a coincidence, that he's joined on stage by our four interim worship leaders that we had leading us over these last several months, Allie, Adam, Carrie, and Tim. And really, let's honor them and everyone who's helped out during the interim time. Thank you, uh, really. We can't engage in worship like we just did if we didn't have the gifts of these men and women, not just the four of them, but our musicians, our other vocalists, our tech team leading us in worship the last several weeks. So we're grateful that the baton is passed to Billy, and just like we've seen for months now, uh, we're gonna be engaging many, many in our worship ministry. Well, before I begin, uh, I want to, I got a confession I need to make, okay? So, it goes like this. Um, these last couple weeks, your senior pastor has gone viral, but not in the good internet popularity kind of way. Uh, I am working my way through a really nasty viral eye infection uh, that I'm coming on the other side of and, and getting better. But two weeks ago, I, I know some people were wondering, um, I wasn't half stoned, okay? <laughs> or I wasn't flirtatiously winking at some of you over here, you know? Uh, I hate to disappoint. No, it's just, it's, it's really been a lot more serious than I thought, but thankfully, uh, getting better and appreciate that. So, um, Speaking of two weeks ago, how many of you were part of the Christianity and Race Forum that we had on Sunday night? And maybe some of you joined us on Facebook Live as well. Just phenomenal evening. Uh, Pastor Hurley Coleman from World Outreach Campus and members of his congregation joined us as well for just a great, great evening together. That, to me, really builds off of what Pastor Ken talked about, about us being peacemakers, about us um, you know, loving one another in the body of Christ, regardless of race, creed, you know, color, age, gender, whatever, right? That Christ came to tear down the dividing wall of hostility that our culture seems to want to put up. And so we're looking forward to God using that as a springboard for future initiatives. And just, again, appreciate your involvement. If you happen to miss that, we actually have that on our website, and you can track down. And just a shout out to our tech team who really did a great job of capturing that event. Well, today, as we're here, I want you to feel a sense of accomplishment. I do because today we reach 
the end of our journey. We've done it. Today is the day we're going to look at the eighth and final beatitude of Jesus. So congratulations, you did it. And let me just tell you, between the feedback I've received from many of you, as well as my own personal experience, it is clear that God has really used these words of Jesus to change us. He has. We are not the same people as we were when we first begun this series back in mid-January. The Holy Spirit has not only enlightened our understanding of the Beatitudes, but he's also spoken to the deep places of our hearts. He's begun to effect this powerful spiritual life transformation in all of us, beginning from the inside out, and it is tremendous to see. As a matter of fact, our journey through the Beatitudes has also even altered how we think about God's blessings in general. And that a truly blessed life isn't so much about a change of fortune, you know, more money, nicer stuff, trophy wife, comfortable life, overachieving children that you can brag about on social media, right? Is that what it means to be hashtag blessed? No. Jesus says it's not so much about a change of fortune as it is a change of heart. Change of heart. Does Jesus begin the Beatitudes? Bless are the rich in wealth? No. What does he say? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those of us who are humble enough, who are honest enough with ourselves to know how much we desperately need the grace of Jesus in our lives. And grace not just for one, you know, initial moment of salvation that we experienced years ago, but grace throughout the entirety of our lifetimes. Because when we run to Jesus, when we cling to his righteousness, we can know with absolute certainty that the blessing of the kingdom of heaven, it's truly ours. It's ours both now and forever, and what a cause for rejoicing. Now, let me be clear, it's nothing wrong for being grateful for those change of fortune blessings that God bestows on us. We do praise God from whom all blessings flow, right? All blessings, big and small, seen and unseen, spiritual and material. We just need to recognize the danger, though, of falling in love with the blessings themselves and making them the objects of our worship and adoration. That's why the Beatitudes of Jesus are so powerful. They sharpen, they clarify our spiritual vision. They keep us on track as Christians and make sure that our hearts are chasing after what matters most. And so as we've gone through this series, every Sunday as we further progress through these Beatitudes, it has been encouraging for me to see God at work in you. Now we'll get to that eighth Beatitude in a moment, but for old time's sake, you know, we're not going to be able to do this much longer. I think we need to take another run through the Beatitudes. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand with me if you are able. And we're going to read through these together. Here we go. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Once again, great job. You may be seated. Now, just to give you a heads up, next Sunday, okay, next Sunday when it comes to the Beatitudes, it's the final exam, all right? No pressure. Final exam. I'm going to have a what's next wrap-up kind of message to conclude this series, but part of that, I want us to give it our best shot, right? Our best shot at reciting the Beatitudes together from memory, right? Our best shot. Like I said in week one of this series, the goal isn't, you know, it's not the be-all, end-all goal to memorize them, right? We don't just want to say them, we want to live them out. Still, God uses, right? Things like memorization, meditation upon his word to grow us as Christians, to help us bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and to increasingly be conformed to the character of our Savior Jesus, right? So that's next week. That's part of our wrap-up. But for today, as we look at this eighth and final beatitude, I want to go back to a diagram I've shared with you before in this series that helps us understand the progressive nature 
of the Beatitudes. Like I've said numerous times, the sequence of the Beatitudes matters. It matters. We don't get to pick and choose through the Beatitudes like we're ordering off some a la carte menu. Rather, we start with the very first one, and then we sequentially work our way through to the end. And so building off this analogy from Pastor Colin Smith, I've put together this diagram to help visualize what I mean. The diagram of roots, shoots, fruits, reaction, right? So you start. Those first three Beatitudes, they're like the roots of a plant. They're what happened below the surface. They're what goes on inside of our hearts. So Jesus says that the blessings of God come to what? Come to the desperate, to the broken, to the surrendered among us. That we gotta start with God if we want a blessed life first in here. But then it doesn't stop there, because once we're established and rooted in Christ, then the evidence in our lives begins to show above the surface, right? Roots, then shoots, like buds on the branches, these initial signs of life that we display, where we hunger and thirst for more and more of God's righteousness in our lives. The rightness of his character, the goodness of his heart, his passion for those things that we value most, like love and justice and mercy and beauty. And then from there, then, those shoots turn into fruits, outward expressions of righteousness in our lives, both towards God and towards others. And so we see it in like us being merciful, where we're merciful to people instead of our natural response of being judgmental and condemning others right on the spot. We also see it when we become increasingly pure of heart, both clean and clear, where we treat other people with respect instead of viewing them as objects to gratify our own desires. Or we're honest and sincere in our dealings with them instead of being hypocritical and deceptive for our own personal gain. We also see it, as Pastor Ken so eloquently put it last week, when we reject our own personal tendencies to deal with conflict either as peace breakers or peace fakers, and instead we draw upon the love of Jesus. We courageously step into these messy relational situations and we live as peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus said, for they will be called children of God. This is who Jesus calls us to be. And let me just add this, that when you live as a peacemaker in this world, it will lead you to some of the most noble, meaningful, and impactful work you will ever do in your entire lifetime. It will, with family, among friends, at work, in the church, That as we live in a world where conflict divides us and hate destroys us, Jesus sends us out to sow the seeds of his love and his peace. Well, that's where we've been so far. And all that leads to this eighth and final beatitude, where as you can see in this diagram, it's different than the rest. I've called it a reaction because unlike the first seven, you know, describing God's work in us and our love towards others, in this last one, Jesus talks about how other people in this world are going to respond to us, react to us, to those of us who follow him, who are committed to living according to his word, including these very beatitudes. And let me just clue you in. That reaction from others will sometimes be a negative one. Here's how Jesus puts it in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes it clear that true God-honoring, righteous living, the very thing we're supposed to hunger and thirst after, the very thing that is expressed in our mercy, our purity of heart, our peacemaking, that when we live that way in this world, some people aren't going to like it. They're not. As a matter of fact, Jesus says it's not just going to turn them off, it's also going to rile them up. So much so that Jesus uses a very intense word here to describe their reaction, persecute. Persecute. Blessed are those of you, Jesus says, who are persecuted by others because of my righteousness in you. Persecute. Now, I want you to let that sink in for a minute. Because this very idea of us being persecuted because of righteousness, I think it goes against every instinct within us that wants to believe that a blessed life is a pleasant life. That a blessed life is an agreeable life. That a blessed life is a harmonious life. And that might be what we want to think, but according to Jesus, that's just not reality. See, the word 
Persecute is much more than just having people disagree with you and what you believe. No, it means they oppose you, they oppress you, they intentionally, proactively reject you, harass you verbally, and in some cases even violently. That is how strong this word persecute actually is. Now, I think to help us grasp that, we need to step back for a minute, right? We need to take in the bigger picture from a larger historical standpoint. Because while the concept of persecution might be hard for us as 21st century Americans to grasp, both centuries ago, Christians back then, since the beginning of the church in New Testament times, but also some Christians today in other parts of the world, right? Places like the Middle East and places like North Africa and countries like North Korea, India, Indonesia, some Christians there know all too well the bitter truth about persecution. Where following Jesus can lead to a loss of freedom, loss of job, loss of home, loss of family, and even, in some cases, a loss of life. It's true. That actually is taking place in our world right now in 2017. Now, we certainly don't have that kind of strong persecution living in the United States today, and yet I think we would recognize that there might be certain pockets of our society that have increasing animosity towards historical Christian values and beliefs in general, but also Christians specifically. Where it is not so much violent, but it is deliberate. I think you see this, for instance, in some places within media or entertainment or academia, where instead of just a let's agree to disagree mentality, there are intentional strategies to discredit and to disparage genuine followers of Jesus. Why? Because of the beliefs they hold, because of the choices they make, because of the lives they live. And I say that not to, you know, encourage or nurture some kind of woe-is-me victim mentality for us, right? But I do say that to just get an accurate description of what's going on around us today and to, to entirely ignore it isn't just foolishness, it's also unfaithfulness. Unfaithfulness because it's a total regard of what Jesus is trying to tell us here right in this beatitude. Persecution because of righteousness, whatever form it might take. Now, as I say all that, I don't know how this is striking you. I mean, so, to some of you, this might just be pure fiction, maybe even bordering on paranoia, right? For others of you, <laughs> you're on the opposite end. You think, I totally agree, Pastor. This world's a terrible place. This Christian nation of ours is going down the tubes, and we need to get back to the good old days and the way things used to be, right? So others of you might not be there, but there have been times where you've thought or maybe even felt some kind of opposition to your Christian faith. Snide remarks, social isolation, just something that doesn't feel quite right. And so you've wondered, is it them? Is it me? Am I coming on too strong? Do I need to back off? Whatever it might be, how do we not just accept the reality of this beatitude, but how do we go on to embrace it, to see it as an actual state of blessedness, just as Jesus says? Well, for the rest of our time together, I want us to discover three essential attitudes that we need to have as followers of Jesus in this world. Three essential attitudes for those of us who are committed to living out his beatitudes. These attitudes that are going to connect the truth of this passage to the reality of our lives today. Three essential attitudes. Here's the first. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when persecution comes. Blessed are those who are persecuted, right? are persecuted because of righteousness. That if you as a follower of Jesus in this world face opposition, face rejection for the beliefs you hold, the choices you make, the life you live, don't be surprised when it happens to you. Because according to Jesus, in this beatitude, it will happen. And not just here, actually, Jesus goes on in chapter 5 of Matthew. He expands on these very words in the next couple of verses. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I'm glad Jesus goes on to expand on this last beatitude, because it gives us further insight into the kind of opposition we might run into. So instead of us just dismissing the entire beatitude over this one intense word like persecute, 
Look at what else Jesus says here, right? Insult you. Maybe. Say all kinds of evil against you. Yeah, possibly. Where, where, where the persecution isn't violent, but it is verbal, it is social, and in some cases can be just as devastating. I bet there are some of you here right now who can identify one way or another with what exactly Jesus is trying to say here. We've actually been through from others something like this. And yet this isn't the only place he makes this kind of statement. Look at what it says here in John chapter 15. It's just as rough. The world hates you. Keep in mind that it hated me, Jesus, first. If you belong to the world, right? if you belong to the system, to the beliefs, the values that are embedded in our culture, right? if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you, as a Christian, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. This is Jesus not just instructing his original disciples, but all of his disciples. Throughout the generations, including us today, to be a Christian, to be saved from our sin and desperation, is to be chosen by Jesus and to be rescued out of the clutches of this world. You might have heard before the expression that Christians are those who are in this world, but not of this world, right? In this world, but not of this world. Well, this is one of the passages where we get that idea. And it helps explain, really, the tension that we as believers feel living in this world. And so you identify yourself as a follower of Jesus, and not everyone's going to like it. Why? Because you don't quite fit in with the system of this world. So if the world hates you, Jesus says, keep in mind that it hated me first, so don't be surprised when it happens. By the way, the same message, it's echoed by Jesus' first disciples. Numerous places. So the Apostle John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 12, verse 13 says this, do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Going all the way back to that character in the early parts of Genesis. Don't be like Cain. And why did he murder his brother, Abel? Because his own actions were evil. And, look at this, and his brother's we're righteous. So don't be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. You know, I find verse 12 interesting because it says that Cain murdered his brother, not because of his own evil thoughts and actions, but also because he was provoked. And what provoked him? What provoked him was the righteousness of his brother. That when we pursue the kind of righteous life Jesus calls us to in the Beatitudes, it is going to be a blessing to some. Don't get me wrong. It will be a blessing to some, but it is going to get a rise out of others. Maybe that's happened to you before where you're just trying to be genuinely helpful for someone else and all of a sudden you're being accused of acting holier than thou and you're like, where did that come from? It happens. So don't be surprised. The Apostle Peter as well. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12 puts it this way. Dear friends, dear Christian friends, do not be surprised. The fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. The fiery ordeal that Peter's talking about here is directly related to the persecution that these first century Christians were facing back then. And I love the way Peter puts it. He says, so don't be surprised. As though something strange, something unusual, something mysterious were happening to you like you shouldn't have expected it, right? Listen, the Bible tells us that the unredeemed human heart is genuinely hostile toward God and toward everything God represents, including us. So think about it this way. Actually, the more that you grow in righteousness, the more you follow in, in, in the life of Jesus is birthed in you, the more you are actually becoming a potential lightning rod for that kind of hostility. It's something we really need to come to grips with. See, I think for many of us, when we run into any kind of opposition, when we're sincerely trying to live for Jesus, it throws, off, throws us off guard. We assume that we must not be doing something right, and so we conclude that we are the problem. Now listen, there is certainly a place for personal reflection, right? When someone is negatively reacting to you because of your faith, but this beatitude, all these passages remind us that when it does happen, we shouldn't view it as something strange or unusual or mysterious, that there must be something automatically wrong with us and our commitment to Christ. No, when it comes to persecution, opposition, rejection, don't be surprised. But then second, we need to, <laughs> don't be obnoxious, okay? 
Don't be obnoxious. Here's what I mean. Go back to Matthew 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. There's the key phrase there, right? Listen, there is a difference between facing opposition because you're righteous, but it's another thing to face opposition because you're obnoxious, right? (laughs) Huge difference. And let me just know I'm totally serious when I say this. I am. Now, I don't have anyone specific in mind, but sometimes Christians can come across so smug, so sure of themselves, so superior, so self-righteous, and as a result, other people do negatively react to them, and rightfully so. But believers like this, they, they can be so arrogant and judgmental in spirit, they walk away thinking, well, Lord, thank you. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the persecuted. Right? I must be doing something right. Jesus doesn't say blessed are the persecuted, does he? See, people giving you a hard time because you're a jerk, there's nothing spiritual about that. (laughs) No, actually, there are times when our obnoxiousness can be disguised as righteousness, religious. As a matter of fact, I think that's why Jesus was so, you know, aggressive in attacking the Pharisees, the teachers of the law. Why? Because they were self-righteous, because they were hypocritical. And so how can you tell the difference then between genuine God-honoring righteousness versus obnoxiousness? Well, to me, the short answer goes back to the Beatitudes. It goes back to everything that comes before this verse. Think about where we've been. Do you, do I, do we live with a conscious recognition of our desperation and brokenness before God apart from grace? Is our life continually surrendered to him? Are we passionately pursuing God's righteousness over our own selfish purpose? And when it comes to how we relate to others, are we merciful? Are we pure-hearted? Are we peacemaking? See, when you look at it that way, all these qualities are absent in the life of an obnoxious person, no matter how religious they might appear, no matter how often they go to church, no matter how much they put in the offering plate. Obnoxious people lack the grace of the Beatitudes. The, the gentleness, the meekness that Jesus talks about. No, they're more concerned about being right than being loving, about winning arguments than giving respect. Now listen, I'm all for us being able to articulate and even defend our faith in Jesus Christ, so I'm not saying that we always roll over and play the doormat when we encounter opposition. No, we certainly need to stand firmly on the truth of God's word, but truth should always be accompanied by grace. John chapter 1, verse 14 says that Jesus is the one full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. That's why we as a church are wholeheartedly committed to both. See, grace without truth leads to compromise. It leads to a watered-down faith that doesn't stand for anything. But truth without grace, well, that leads to everything I've just talked about leads to obnoxiousness that comes with a smug and judgmental spirit. And so I think of the words of Christian author Randy Elkhorn. I love the way he puts it. He says, you know, something's wrong if all unbelievers hate us. Something's wrong if all unbelievers like us. If we accurately demonstrate grace and truth, some will be drawn to us, others will be offended by us, just as they were with Jesus. You read the life of Jesus, some people just loved being in his presence. Others, they couldn't wait to kill him, right? And so it's one thing when Scripture says don't be surprised by persecution and opposition when you're genuinely pursuing God's righteousness in your life. But it's another thing just to be obnoxious about your faith and to take every negative reaction as some badge of honor, right? No. See, I think all this is one more reminder that as we come to the Beatitudes, we don't start with the last one first. No, we start at the beginning. We start with our own desperation for God and our great need for his grace. And when our faith is rooted in that kind of brokenness and surrender, then it guides our pursuit of a blessed and righteous life. It guides it in humility and dependence, not arrogance and self-sufficiency. That is the difference between righteousness and obnoxiousness. So don't be surprised when you face rejection, but also don't be obnoxious because of your faith. And then third, don't be defeated. 
Don't be defeated because you're on the right track. Don't be defeated when you experience persecution, no matter how hard it might get, because the reward that's waiting for you in the end is more than worth it. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs, yours, is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you've been paying attention at all in this series, you realize that the reward attached at the end of this beatitude is the exact same one attached to the first one, Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's the first beatitude we looked at back in January. And then we've got this one at the very end. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what's Jesus talking about here? Is it the same reward or are these two different things? Well, if you survey what Bible scholars have to say, you'll see some say it's one, some say it's two. One very respected pastor I know says that the first beatitude has more to do with our entrance into the kingdom of heaven, while the last one has to do with our experience of the kingdom of heaven. That makes some sense, but in my opinion, and maybe it's just because I'm simple, I think Jesus is talking about the exact same thing. He is, but he's doing so to make this basic point. The beatitudes are meant to be taken as a whole. The Beatitudes are meant to be taken as a whole. So yes, we start with that very first one, but it should inevitably lead us to the very last one. So we're not so much getting the addition of another reward, we're receiving the confirmation of the best reward possible. And what is that eternal, irrevocable citizenship in the kingdom of heaven both now and forever? See, that's why I believe Jesus reiterates this heavenly reward in this final beatitude. He attaches it to the experience of persecution as a way to encourage us as followers of Jesus that we would keep on going and not give up. Keep on going and not give up. That as we seek to live out the beatitudes, as we seek to be a blessing to others, we need to constantly be reminded that no matter what kind of discouragement and rejection we might face, that it is more then worth it. You know, in Christian circles today, there's a lot of talk about the importance of us being passionate about our faith, right? Passionate about our faith, and rightfully so. Our new life in Christ isn't just about playing church, right, or going through the motions. But in addition to passion, we also need perseverance. Perseverance, the strength to keep on following Jesus no matter the circumstances. Listen, if you've been a Christian for a while, you know that it's not always one mountaintop experience to another mountaintop experience. No, there are times when our hearts do get discouraged. There are times when our faith does get weary. And as a matter of fact, persecution is certainly one of those factors that can wear us down. So the question is, how do we overcome that? How do we not give up? Well, when you look in the Bible, it's interesting to see that the answer isn't the one that we're often given, right? I'm discouraged, what should I do? And people kind of nudge us, well, do more, try harder. Have more faith, right? But you know what's mentioned the most as the key to persevering faith? When you look in Scripture, it's this, that we would focus on our future reward. Focus on our future reward. We see it in this beatitude. We also see it in the, reward, the beatitude of the words that immediately follow this beatitude. Remember we saw this passage before? Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, say all kinds of evil falsely against you because of me. What does Jesus say? Rejoice and be glad for great. I I think he was looking for the best word possible. Great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward. You know, we don't rejoice over rejection itself. We're not supposed to be glad just because we're persecuted. No, the rejoicing, the gladness, they come over our heavenly reward. Persecution that we experience in this life over the righteousness we demonstrate, that is simply a reminder that we are on the right track. Rejoice and be glad because great, awesome, tremendous, marvelous, remarkable is your reward in heaven. You see this motivation for perseverance elsewhere through Scripture. One of my favorite passages about this comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 4. It's a passage I read about just every funeral I officiate. The Apostle Paul says this, for our light momentary troubles, that's how he describes hardship in this life, right? Our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
In other words, he's saying if you have a scale and you put everything hard on that scale that you will experience in this life and you put it on there, but then you put the eternal glory that, that waits you, no comparison. The best is yet to come. So what do we do? Do we dwell on our problems? No. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, because what is seen is temporary, right? This life of ours, 60, 70, 80 years, poof. But what is unseen, what is worth it, is eternal. I love this passage because it doesn't deny the reality of troubles, right? Hardship, persecution in the life of a Christian. It not only recognizes those troubles, it puts it into proper perspective. That compared to heaven, compared to the eternal glory that awaits us as Christians, they're light, they're momentary. So we don't deny them, but Paul also says, don't dwell on them. No, you need a change of focus. Fix your eyes, not on what is seen, not on the hardship you're going through, but on the unseen. Why? Because what is seen is temporary. What is unseen is eternal. And it is much greater, it is far more wonderful than the worst that you will ever experience in your life as a Christian. See, that's why Jesus can finish this beatitude with such an outrageous sounding statement about the blessings of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted? Really? Persecuted because of righteousness? Yes, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Outrageous, but true. And so whatever difficulty you might encounter because of your faith, don't let it defeat you. Don't let it defeat you, but rather use it as a reminder to keep on going because the best is yet to come. Well, in a moment, we're going to do that. We're going to conclude with a song of worship as a way for us to fix our eyes on what is unseen and what is eternal. But before we do that, I want you to know something. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, I want you to know something, and I want you to take this with you this week. Two very simple truths. You are not alone, and you are not insane. You are not alone, and you are not insane. Now, everything makes sense for this hour of worship when we come together on Sunday and give our praise to God, but as we go out into our world, as we get immersed into our week, Boy, it can really rattle us, right? There are times we watch the news, we get pulled into some heated debate on Facebook where you walk away feeling like you're the crazy one, right? Everyone else is spouting off about how compassionate they are, but you're the narrow-minded one. You're the bigoted one. Or there are times when we're walking the hallways of our school, our office, our factory, and it seems that all our peers are living wild, living free, you're excluded from those groups. You're missing out on all the fun because of your faith. It's disorienting. You can feel lonely. Or there are those times when people, even in your own extended family, give you a hard time because you're taking this Jesus thing a little too far. Right? After all, they go to church too. So why are you making such a big deal about it? Is it because you think you're somehow better than they are? Is that it? Listen, these are things that people in our church go through. Maybe you're one of them, or maybe you've been through something similar like that. And it's rattled you, it's disoriented you. Listen, you are not alone, and you are not insane. God is with you. He is with you always. This church family, our experience of worship every single week, those things are meant to encourage you. You've also got the Bible, God's Word, that's always going to give you a compass to the truth, no matter what everyone else is saying. So take heart, be encouraged, and don't give up, for blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. For theirs, for yours, is the kingdom of heaven. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, um, I think for a lot of us, a passage like this can feel like a bucket of cold water. That maybe we were somehow led to believe that following Jesus would be a, a bed of roses, 
a life full of rainbows, puppies, and unicorns. Always good, never bad. And so that when we counter opposition, we counter harassment, when people react to us negatively, it throws us off. We wonder if something's wrong, and Jesus' words come in to tell us, no, you're right on track. Not that we go out of our way and just be obnoxious to everyone, but we pay attention and we're not surprised when we encounter opposition in our pursuit of wanting to live righteously out of the truth and the beauty of these Beatitudes. But God, as we go out into the world and we get roughed up and nicked up, let us not live defeated. Let us see the bigger picture, the greater picture of our heavenly reward, fixing our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen. Fix our eyes on not what is temporary but what is eternal. Fixing our eyes on the greatest reward possible, the kingdom of heaven that is ours both now and forever. So encourage our hearts, fill us with hope, especially, Lord, just the very discouraged among us this day. Overwhelm them by the grace and goodness of your Holy Spirit, that they would find the strength to keep on going and follow you and not give up. Because, Lord, we want to live. We want to experience your blessings as you tell us, Jesus. So let us walk. Let us live. Let us rejoice in the blessed life that you lay out for us. All possible because you are and you alone, our Savior and our Lord. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So no matter the cost, we need to be about God's purposes in our lives, friends, and helping other people know and experience God because of all that he's done for us through the cross. So, you know, before we leave today, let's stand. Let's be reminded about God's story through Christ, and let's let that truth empower us to live for him and help others do the same. So take us in, Rod. Tim's going to lead us on the first verse. I cast my eye to Calvary Where Jesus bled and died for me I see his wounds, his hands, his feet My Savior on that cursed tree His body bowed and drenched in tears. They laid him down in Joseph's tomb. The entrance sealed by heavy stone. Messiah still and all
roar for Christ the King, and so do we, and so do we. Next week, we will wrap up our hashtag series, hashtag blessed series by talking about life after the Beatitudes and what that means for us going forward. But as you go from here, may the Holy Spirit fill your heart with passion and perseverance as you live for Jesus this week. God bless you.